Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGN News. It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. The Co-op Power Hour is a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle, which you can learn more about at our website, coloradocoops.info. Today we're talking about purchasing cooperatives, which is one of the most powerful but least celebrated and understood kinds of business, uh, which are enabling some of the best features of our economy. We're joined by some remarkable guests, two Boulder area um, uh, purchasing co-op leaders, Allison Morris, president of the Veterinary Cooperative, a national co-op of independent veterinary practices, and Stephen Irvin, president of Amicus Solar, a national purchasing co-op for independent solar companies. When we hear the words Main Street, it tends to refer to a story of decline. Uh, we think of the rise of big box stores and now uh, the big online monopolies uh, that are uh, putting so much pressure on local business. Uh, a world in which consolidation is the norm and small local creative business is a dying breed. But there's a force that has been standing against that trend and is poised to do so even more, and that's purchasing cooperatives. Many people tend to think of co-ops as a kind of model that can't scale. Maybe they're thinking of um, a small worker cooperative or a small housing cooperative, but purchasing co-ops all along uh, are all about scale. Their whole purpose is to enable their member businesses to have scale, to, to use it. Um, rather than being cooperatives largely that are based on individual members, these are uh, uh, businesses in which the members are themselves businesses usually. Uh, and by purchasing, uh, uh, what it means is that they join together and have access to buying supplies, uh, materials, marketing, uh, other necessities for running their business in bulk. So like a big chain store, they're able to access economies of scale that a small business might not otherwise have. Uh, it enables them to join together, uh, even though the members may themselves be competitors, uh, 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 but they find value in cooperating to survive and thrive. And these kinds of businesses often lurk in the background, so end consumers don't uh, often notice them. For instance, uh, here in Boulder, uh, one of our um, kind of upstanding local businesses is McGuckin Hardware, uh, which is a locally owned, family owned uh, uh, business. Um, but in the background, it's powered by a large national purchasing co-op called Ace Hardware. It's through Ace Hardware that McGuckin is able to buy the things that it sells on its, on its, uh, in its store and uh, is able to uh, uh, streamline processes that would otherwise uh, be, be uh, overly burdensome and enables uh, that business to compete with the big box uh, uh, com competition just down the road. Uh, this kind of model also powers recognizable chains like uh, Dairy Queen and Best Western. They have purchasing co-ops behind them. Uh, but, but most uh, uh, purchasing co-ops are, are often kind of lurking even more in the background. They don't have a consumer-facing brand. They let their members interact with the consumers, and they kind of uh, uh, enable those members to, uh, to, to do that kind of work. And so it's really important, I think, to recognize uh, this particular kind of model um, because it's so often obscured. 
To begin with, we're going to talk with Allison Morris. She's uh, president of the Veterinary Cooperative, which is a relatively new uh, uh, co-op. Actually, both of these uh, uh, purchasing co-ops we'll be talking about today are relatively new, and they've scaled quickly. They're doing uh, uh, millions of dollars in business and are um, already making a major impact in the sectors in which they work. Uh, Allison uh, recently moved to the area and uh, is is uh, running this distributed company from here. Uh, welcome to the show, Allison Morris. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just get started with some basics. Uh, what is the veterinary cooperative? What do you do? Uh, what is your uh, what is your business? Our mission is to help independently owned animal hospitals compete in this industry, as you said, that's consolidating, as many are. Uh, there's a lot of big uh, big box stores um, when it comes to even uh, uh, pet stores selling uh pet food and other types of products that are taking away from the veterinarian's ability, as well as big corporate hospitals. You might have heard of some like Banfields that are attached to these big box stores, and it's making it, again, very hard for the independents to compete. Um, so our philosophy is to help our members get the best pricing, the best business education, so that they can continue to practice the best health care they can for the pets that they serve. Great. And how did it get started? What, what kind of uh, opportunity uh, uh, caused this business to arise? Absolutely. Um, so the, the first CEO of the veterinary cooperative, Rich Morris, uh, he had been doing consulting for a lot of co-ops throughout the years. Uh, and he was talking with a friend of his who's a veterinarian uh, who was wondering more about what co-ops do. And this veterinarian friend said, oh, we need one of those in our industry. Um, and Rich said, oh, I'm sure there's one out there. Let me, you know, talk to my network of, of co-op people. And um, it turns out there there wasn't a national cooperative available. There were a few smaller co-ops that didn't allow uh, this person located um, in the Illinois area to, to join their co-op. So they decided to, to start it together. Um, they got a, a four independently owned veterinary clinics to form the original board. And from there, um, we just went out selling the concept and trying to get as many vendors and members to join as possible. Um, at the end of the first year, we had just under 300 locations. Um, and I expect at the end of this year to have uh, close to 4,000. Um, and we've been open uh, this fall six years. So it's grown quite quick. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's a kind of business that really can... Uh, grow so rapidly and uh, so kind of invisibly mm -hmm. as well. And, and, and the story that the way you tell that story about starting out of the experience of, um, of individual members of future members of store owners who are noticing their own bottlenecks mm -hmm. and who recognize a need is something that uh, I've seen over and over again. You know, I think of, you know, one of the, one of uh, the kind of uh, prominent, uh, uh, purchasing co-op CEOs in our country, Howard Brodsky of uh, CCA Global. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a few stores uh, in our area called Carpet One that are members of that cooperative. Um, and he too was a, uh, you know, a small carpet store uh, uh, owner and, and saw, hey, there's a big problem here. We, we need more scale and, and this is the way to do it. Um, and so give me a sense, too, about what um, what scale of organization this has required. I mean, th this is a, uh, a business with members all over the country. Um, mm -hmm. How big do you have to be? 
So uh, when our when the company first opened, uh, there were one and a half employees. Rich uh, was a full employee, and myself was the half. Um, and at that time, we could handle um, running it with with just the two of us. Um, however, as we quickly gained speed uh, in in uh, membership and, and vendors, everything has become way more complex. So today we have a staff of uh, 13 um, and potentially growing uh, with with uh, hired help here and there. Um, and we're a, a virtual company. So we really depend on um, uh, technology tools to keep us organized, uh, both in a custom database that we've built for ourselves, um, a custom website we've built for our members to communicate well to them in what's going on, um, and, and good people to, to be in contact with our vendors to make sure everything's flowing um, smoothly. But I think it's it's going well with the crew we have right now. So say a bit about what you're doing day to day. What what is what are you wake, waking up <laughs> thinking about uh, having to achieve by the end of the day? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I always tell people in previous jobs I've had, uh, the issue was um, I learned the job too well and got bored. I have to say in this job, I probably do something different just about every day. So it's a bit of a tough question to answer. But the, the goal of this year is to try to get the owners, we uh, we call them co-op owners, the co-op owners we have uh, to, to utilize as many vendor programs and educational programs we have at the co-op uh, this year because we're growing so fast. We need to make sure we're capturing uh, – their, their business and, and really showing them the full value of what we offer. So that's kind of what we all wake up trying to achieve this year. That is our goal this year. Um, we have this uh, goal we tell the members this year. It's called uh, Strive to 450, meaning uh, the best practice owners in our cooperative uh, get about $450 of business from each of their customers each year. So that's our way of trying to motivate them to to strive to be the best they can be to and offer as many resources that they they can to their customers to again just help everybody up the line mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great and so you're pushing them to be their best and uh and that's in the interests of your business as well um but say how that might be different from another kind of supplier what does that co-owner uh, uh relationship uh, mean in the context of your business well, we always tell our co-op owners that they own us. So uh, we are extremely open to feedback from our co-op owners. Uh, we have committees in which they tell us which new vendors to bring on or which ones to not worry about. Um, or if people are having issues with our vendors, we're able to really bump their their worries up the line because we have a lot of influence now in the marketplace. Um, so, I, you know, it's hard to uh, give every single co-op owner ev- – you know, everything they want because we have about, you know, 3,500 bosses right now telling us what to do. But we really do our best to um, to listen to those voices collectively. Um, the board always says um, that they deliberate as many, but they, um, they lead as one. Um, so they do their best to try to bring in all points of view and, and tell us which direction to go. Um, I hope that answers your question, but let me know if you have any others. And do, they, do those members elect to the board? Yeah. Yes. So... Um, the board, um, well, actually, the whole ownership elects the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the current board, there's a subcommittee in which uh, brings a slate uh, to be voted upon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what kinds of um, pressures do you find those members facing? 
I think many years ago when veterinarians opened um, business, and I think there's a lot of baby boomers who are now at the age of retirement, um, nearing retirement, um, trying to sell their businesses, um, which is one issue. Um, A lot of corporates are trying to buy those up. But Mm. um, what they're struggling with is many years ago when they were in school, they had maybe one business class that said, um, you know, mark your margin up, you know, by 50% and you'll be fine. Um, But with the internet and all these competitive corporate um, hospitals who are very business savvy, uh, if they continue to do that, they're going to be priced way out of the market. So I think the struggle is trying to teach them how to be business savvy after they've been in business many, many years and just hoping that they're open to that. Otherwise, unfortunately, many of them are going to get eaten up or go out of business. Mm -hmm. Now, does it feel like a, a tenable model? I mean, the, the w- when you're dealing with uh, a national chain, uh, the central company is able to determine so much about how the individual stores, for instance, behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you're not necessarily able to do that, right? Your members are their own owners. Yep. Um, do you feel that that, that 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 is an advantage or that's something that's going to make it hard for them to compete ult- ultimately? I think if they get involved with all we have to offer, they're going to do great. Um, I think some co-op owners get involved right away and others are just so busy that time is unfortunately a factor that sometimes, you know, makes makes them um, slip away and, and grasp all that we have to offer. So I think that's certainly a struggle. Uh, but what I love about independence is, you know, I, I've talked to many people who've worked in corporate hospitals and they're not always able to practice medicine the way they want. And I don't know about you, but when you, you know, when I take my pets to the, the animal hospital, you know, I want, I want the doctors to be able to make whatever medical decisions that they think are, are truly best. Um, and so I, I really think that's, um, the warm and fuzzy, uh, you know, positive of being an independent, independent. And I think a lot of people, um, not even just in veterinary hospitals, but these days are, are really seeing the importance of supporting your local community. And, uh, I find that to be a huge advantage. We just got to help them learn, uh, some of those business skills to, to compete with those corporates and then they'll have everything and more, I think. Mm-hmm. What kinds of pressures do those, uh, members put on you? What kinds of things do, um, uh, you know, are they pushing you to do better? I think they're always pushing us uh, for better um, rebate and discount programs so that they can purchase cheaper and offer cheaper to the clients. Um, Of course, we do the best we can with that. Um, But we also have a saying saying, we can't discount you into profitability. You also need to know how to be business savvy to use those you know, savings to to have profit at the end of the day. Um, so we certainly do our best to work with our vendor partners, and then we do our best as well as I keep saying education to to educate the members on and how to be the best they can with the resources we give them. And when you talked about the your role in the market, how, give us a sense of that. I mean, you're you're up going up to, toward four thousand members. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in the context of this industry? Uh, so we're certainly um, bigger than many of the actually the corporate hospital groups out there. But as you said, uh, you know, when a, a corporate is purchasing for their thousand hospitals, they get to absolutely decide that every hospital is purchasing this brand of vaccine or whatnot. We don't have that luxury. However, you know, 
3,500, 4,000 hospitals certainly gets the attention of our vendors, and we're we're um, well respected amongst the vendors now, which is certainly different than than than, than the start, which is a, a nice uh, turn of events. Um, and then there are other buying groups out there that are nationwide. I believe there's uh, one that's larger than us, um, and but I, I believe. And I, I don't want to get into too many of the specifics, but I do believe that this cooperative model is is a better functioning model um, for many of the owners who who are a part of our our community. Now, where do you see the business going in the future? What are you uh, looking toward? I hope that um, we can get to our goal, which is about five thousand owners throughout the the country, and that will allow us the best purchasing power to. Um, retain the best programs with our vendors and allow us to have the most influence to continue to work with our vendors and have the money to work with other types of resources uh, to give our members um, just such great things. For example, um, data has become very big these days and I feel our industry is slightly behind. I would love to be able to to offer data collection for all of our, our members so we can you know, truly utilize that to 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 help our our owners see the best way to do things based on the the statistics of our group. So certain things like that, um, I think we need some more uh, technology and funds to really make that happen. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Nathan Schneider, and today we're talking about purchasing cooperatives. Um, uh, I, we just heard from Allison Morris of the Veterinary Cooperative, and we'll be right back. We're honored to invite you to KGNU's Event of the Year. It's our 40th anniversary celebration, Making Waves, with keynote speakers Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! and Jim Hightower of the Hightower Lowdown. It's all happening on Saturday, September 15th at 5.30 p.m. in Boulder. Tickets available at kgnu.org. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour. It's a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Nathan Schneider. I teach media studies at CU Boulder. And today we're talking about uh, uh, purchasing co-ops, which is a, a kind of cooperative usually made up of uh, smaller businesses who join together and uh, purchase the supplies and marketing and other tools that they uh, need to do their business best. And it's a, a powerful force that's often really underappreciated. We've got two uh, leading uh, 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 purchasing co-op executives, I'll, I'll go ahead and call you, uh, who are in our area, who are um, uh, who who have helped build powerful co-ops in their in their sectors? We heard already from Allison Morris of the Veterinary Cooperative, and uh, now we're joined by Stephen Irwin, who's president of Amicus Solar. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now you began your co-op career, I believe, with another co-op in Boulder, right? Uh, Namaste Solar. Can you tell us about a little bit about what Namaste Solar is and how that led into Amicus? Sure, happy to. Um, so some of you might know that name, Namaste Solar. We started the business in 2004, 2005 here in Boulder. And it was shortly after the passage of Amendment 37, which was the 
time when the voters of Colorado voted in a renewable energy standard, which said that a certain percentage of our electricity mix should come from renewable energy, like solar. And that was the impetus for us to start uh, Namaste Solar, which is a solar installation company. And we started in 2004, 2005, like I said, and we're focused on helping homeowners go solar and growing the business slowly over time. And then along came a very large company out of California with very deep pockets. Some of you might know this name. It's called Solar City. If you don't know that name, I'm sure you know the name Elon Musk, who was one of the the original idea for Solar City came from Elon Musk actually, and his cousins ended up uh, leading that company for many years. And so they came out of California into our little community here in Boulder, kind of guns a blazing, spending lots of money on marketing dollars and with a very powerful product to, that was uh, helping a lot of homeowners go solar, but also hurting the small local independent company that is Namaste Solar. So purchasing cooperatives, their story starts a lot with the, similar to like the David and Goliath story, where a large national chain comes in and how does the local, regional, small independent company survive against the, the big guys, if you will. And Namaste Solar, we started it as an employee-owned business. We didn't know about cooperatives at all at the time. We just thought, hey, we want to share ownership. And so all of us just invested as much as we could. We borrowed from friends and family and, and all put in different amounts. So we all own different percentages of Namaste Solar from the get-go. But we never operated that way. We always operated it as one person, one vote, even big decisions. We'd have what we call big picture meetings where we'd all, whatever it was, we didn't vote by the number of shares of Namaste Solar we had. We just did it by one person, one vote. And along the way, we were growing and trying to build larger commercial projects. And a lot of people might not know this, but there was another company that had its roots here locally as well called Real Good Solar uh, that's tied to Gaim, the, the catalog Gaim. And they were interested in buying Namaste Solar. And they were saying, hey, the only way you're going to compete against Solar City is to be bought and be a part of a larger company. And we had private equity firms coming in and saying, hey, the only way you're going to compete against Solar City is to be rolled up and become this larger company that will finance for you. But we didn't want to give up our DNA of democratically run and sharing that ownership with our employees. And we felt like that was not going to help us really live our mission to propagate solar in the way we felt was responsible. And so we were searching for different models of how to do that. And we discovered two cooperatives that were great guides. Um, one is Equal Exchange. They're based out of Boston. They do fair trade coffee and chocolates. And they are a worker-owned or employee-owned cooperative. And they also had many successful years of having private placements where they raised preferred stock to help finance their growth without having to give up control or ownership of their business. And in the early days, we were naive at Namaste Solar. We didn't know you could still raise capital and, and maintain the employees still maintain control of the business. We thought whenever you invited in external investors, you'd have to give up control, but that was not true. Equal Exchange had done it very successfully over many years, and it was a natural fit for both the investor and the employee owners of the business. And we also uncovered another cooperative, which many of you probably know, which is Organic Valley. It's owned by over, I think, 2,000 dairy farmers across the country, and they also employed the same 
preferred share structure to raise capital to support all their dairy farmers and their cooperative. And so on January 1st of 2011, Amica, or, or sorry, Namaste Solar converted to an employee-owned or worker-owned cooperative. And it was in our research of cooperatives that we discovered the purchasing cooperative business model. And in that same year of 2011, we founded Amicus. Mm-hmm. And so what does Amicus do? And, and mm-hmm. what kind of role does uh, does a company like Namaste play in it? Sure. So Namaste Solar was the founder of, of Amicus, and we named it Amicus. Um, actually, uh, when I speak with attorneys, I can I can tell I'm speaking with an attorney because they call it Amicus, <laughs> right, which is the proper pronunciation, but it's Latin for the word friend, right? So we reached out to a bunch of friends that we'd met over the years in the solar industry, whether we met them at trade shows or conferences over the years, and these were folks that we were become friendly with and openly sharing and best practices and benchmarking financials even with to help guide Namaste Solar. And, but they were independently owned and operated separate businesses in different parts of the country. So we said, Hey, let's form this new company together. It's technically a corporation, right? It's a cooperative corporation. And uh, they said, that sounds great. So we all came together toward our common goal of reducing our cost of solar panels and all the other equipment we need to build the solar projects out there. And we own it equally. So just like Namaste Solar is one person, one vote, Amicus is one company, one vote. And they each own a single share of Class A common stock in Amicus. And we're now up to 50 companies spread out across 33 states, Puerto Rico and Canada. And we tap into the, all the benefits you can get with national scale, but while remaining independently owned and operated and realizing your own mission that you're looking to accomplish in your own community. Now, what, what kind of savings did that enable for, again, a company like mm-hmm. uh, Namaste to experience? Yeah, a good example is um, we always felt that, you know, when, when we saw what Solar City was doing, right? We thought one of their biggest advantages was their economies of scale, right? And they were able to offer a a lower price to their homeowners than we could offer because uh, we couldn't buy the multiple megawatts of solar panels that they could. Well, as amicus, we can. We're now up to that scale as, as the large nationals are. We're signing module supply agreements. Sorry, modules is another word for a solar panel. Um, but we're signing those agreements and able to realize the same cost structure as the large nationals. But again, being independently owned and operated and only buying a small portion. So Namaste Solar realizes the benefits of, of 50 times what they would normally buy uh, otherwise. And so what scale of turnover does that 50 member business uh, uh, operate at? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's always changing every year. It's always been... You know, it's solar is funny. We we always sometimes complain about annual growth rates and our revenues of being, you know, less than 50%. And that's crazy, right? In any other industry, you'd say, what? Well, 10% is amazing. But in the solar industry, it's obviously been growing so fast. Uh, that's that's the heart of it. So now we're probably up to about a half a billion dollars a year. Hmm. Yeah, turnover. Amazing. And and how many staff members are, are making that happen? Well, across all the member companies, there's... Uh, well, I mean, just in, in Amicus in particular. In Amicus in particular, we just have two and a half people, myself Amazing. and one full-time staff person and one part-time. Yeah, yeah. So. It's, a, it, it's a very lean uh, way to achieve half a billion dollars. Yeah, that, well, that, that's 
that's the intention, right? Is is it's it's to strip away the transaction costs out of the supply chain, right, and make it more efficient. Because at the end of the day, we want to drive the benefits of this to not only the employees of all these Amicus member companies, but to their their customers, these homeowners, right, so that they can afford to go solar. I mean, solar started where it was really just focused on the wealthy who could afford to do it. But that can't be the end. We have to focus on it helps so many low-income folks, right, or middle-income folks and those living in affordable housing to go solar as well. That needs to be a priority. And, and, and there's also a co-op called Amicus O&M. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's correct. We um, we started a um, another parallel cooperative um, last year that focuses on providing long-term maintenance and care kind of like uh, where where you would have someone take care of you know cleaning your home maybe or your you know handling your landscaping maybe uh, or something like that but these solar plants we call them literally a power plant that are out there operating for the long term um, are expected to last 35 years you know we plan for them to be operational for at least 35 years that's a long time so sometimes you've got to go uh, cut the grass if they're out on the ground, right? So the and weeds don't grow up and shade the solar panels. Sometimes you have to wash the solar panels. Sometimes you have to change some fuses. Uh, it takes very little maintenance, but it still takes some care. And so that cooperative addresses that long-term care and maintenance. Yeah. And then now there is a credit union as well. That's correct. So, so um, yeah, never, never a dull <laughs> moment for us. We... Uh, we, we saw, when I say we, it was a group of volunteers. So not Amicus, just a part of the Amicus group. Obviously, uh-huh. we're very close to each other now and very friendly. And, and many of them I would consider dear friends, even you know long past Amicus. And we saw that there were some residential loan options out there that were just too expensive. Um, they were charging too high interest rates or too high of fees. And we felt that that wasn't right. And then so we first approached um, uh, local credit unions here, like Elevations and others. And solar was just so new, they just didn't they didn't feel right. They wanted to stick to what they know, you know, which are student loans, right, and auto loans and mortgages, et cetera, which is great. And we thought, you know, we know solar. And so we embarked on a, a little over three-year endeavor with the National Credit Union Administration to receive our federal charter for the Clean Energy Federal Credit Union. We're calling it now the Clean Energy Credit Union. It's a little easier to say whether the word federal, but it is a federal credit union that offers loans for solar, for electric vehicles, and for energy efficiency home improvements in all 50 states across the country. And uh, we opened our doors uh, earlier this year. And it is run, we hired a... Um, a professional from the credit union industry, her name's Terry, and she is the CEO, mm-hmm. and they've staffed up and are are doing millions of loans a month now Amazing. for the credit union. And if anyone's interested, I'll put in a, a shameless plug here, go to cleanenergycu.org. That's cleanenergycu.org to check it out and consider opening a savings account or getting a CD and knowing that those funds will, you can sleep well at night knowing those funds are directly propagating a clean energy future. I've done it myself. Right. Uh, it, yeah. No, it's just amazing how um, uh, how your kind of team has has spun off uh, a co-op for kind of every problem you found. You know, a a, uh, a co-op for for work. You know, for for 
uh, in Namaste Solar, uh, creating a, that's also a B Corp, right? A company that really prioritizes, you know, a, a, um, uh, an ethical way of doing business and that uh, provides great benefits for employees. And then, uh, ran into the problem of scale, turned to the purchasing co-op model, ran into the problem of service, shared service co-op, uh, and then, uh, and then this credit union, you know, I think so often people, uh, focus on one kind of model, one kind of approach with a kind of orthodoxy, um, rather than recognizing this as a really dynamic and creative way of doing business. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of co-op junkies, right? Yeah. And, and if it, if folks don't know, credit unions are financial cooperatives, mm-hmm. right? Just to, just to hammer home that point of, of the co-op world. Yeah, yeah. The, the credit uh, union name came from Edward Filene, I believe, right? The, of Filene's Basement, right? The businessman who adopted this model and, and um, uh, tried to make it go national right. and, and help pass the legislation enabling it. And, and sometimes it's been a real benefit to the model to have this other name of credit union. It's kind of friendly and, you know, connects to this, uh, uh, connects very much to what people get out of it. But sometimes that uh, uh, helps people forget that it's also a cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one other thing that you're starting to get involved in, I understand, is actually helping your uh, the members of Amicus, um, uh, the member businesses, become employee-owned, right? And yeah, you know, that's correct. That's this, been a lot of fun. This, uh, uh, you know, Allison yeah. was speaking earlier about how uh, there are some s- succession challenges, right, where member businesses, small businesses all around the country are facing this this um, silver tsunami, they call it, right, of all these baby boomers who are business owners and retiring. And, um, and you know, employee ownership is one option for those. But tell us a bit about what that has meant in your context. Sure. I think what we've done is created the opportunity for them to learn about employee ownership through Amicus and our meetings that we have uh, where we get together and we've kind of created little tutorials where they could, the owners can learn about employee ownership. A lot of people think it's an ESOP. They jump to ESOP, which employee employee stock ownership, ownership plan, right? And an ESOP is an employee owned company. Uh, but it's a it's a it's basically where all the stock is held in a trust, right? And employees have stock in that trust, and the trust governs um, the the business through through its goals with that that structure. So, but with um, employee owned cooperatives, it's literally direct where the employees have a single share of common stock. And there's lots of different flavors of employee ownership, as we said. ESOP is one. Cooperatives are another. Restricted stock plans are another. In fact, that's how Namaste Solar started. And so what we've done in terms of succession planning is, you know, usually uh, one of the business owners of an Amicus member company will approach me and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in potentially selling my business. And I don't know what to do. You know, I'm a relatively small business. The valuations I would get, I don't know how to go down this road. And if you think about the employees are the perfect buyer of a business, they've been sometimes there for over a decade and it is a part of their, you know, their hearts are so dedicated to this and what a legacy to leave where you can sell your business to your employees. And so we've helped them learn about that process. There's different groups or consultants and attorneys that um, many of which you know, Nathan, that uh, could help with that process as well. And so, yeah, it's more of just an educational thing. And 
helping them with evaluations and I just volunteer my time to, to do that. Um, and it seems like a great fit. I think what I've seen most though is it's not just getting to the, having the transaction done and the, the, the ownership change. It's building a culture of co-ownership that's even maybe more important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and that, that takes time and nurturing. And the data yeah. suggests, for instance, on productivity, that that's important for reaping the productivity gains that, mm -hmm. that employee ownership can enable. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, we always thought, like, you know, the care and attention you're going to do to your daily job is going to mean so much more when you feel that sense of ownership and and the work yeah. product you're, you're creating. Backed right? by real ownership. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy. We've been talking about purchasing co-ops uh, today, and, and we've just heard from uh, Stephen Irvin of uh, Amicus Solar. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour. It's a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Nathan Schneider. I uh, teach media studies at CU Boulder. And uh, today we're talking about purchasing cooperatives, a kind of uh, cooperative business in which uh, small businesses come together to uh, create uh, uh, economies of scale, enabling them to compete with uh, big boxes, with um, uh, national investor-backed competitors and uh, helping to uh, uh, enable a kind of economy in which uh, uh, that is both global and, and local at the same time. Uh, so we're joined now by uh, the two leaders of purchasing co-ops that we've been talking with, uh, Allison Morris of the Veterinary Cooperative uh, and Stephen Irvin of uh, Amicus Solar. Both in just a few years have built national purchasing cooperatives doing um, many millions of dollars in business and uh, uh, creating a real force in their industries. Um, and uh, both of them are here in the, in the Front Range area. And, um, and uh, uh, we have the chance to learn from both of them. So, you know, I, I asked Allison a bit earlier about what her day-to-day -day is like. Um, I'd be curious to hear from you. What do you do all day? Uh, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, these kinds of businesses, they don't face consumers. You know, you're not, you're not sitting with the storefront, you know, where people are showing up. Um, tell us about what you're up to. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, it changes daily. And I think that's what I enjoy most about it is it's, it's a very unique job, very unique where, it uh, demands creativity and innovation on an ongoing basis. Um, never a week has passed where a new challenge or opportunity has presented itself. And so my day-to-day -day is it's, it's not a rote functionality. I'm either traveling around the country to meet with our member companies or uh, meeting with our um, solar panel manufacturers, typically in the Bay Area. <laughs> so I'd fly out there quite a bit. Um, or helping them through any business challenges they might have or different perspectives. Or um, I, w I was actually a little late coming here this morning because I was helping um, connect a few of our members through a, for a national opportunity with a large bank 
that wants to install solar in all their branches around the country. Uh, so you never know what's going to come up. It keeps it interesting and fresh, which is, I feel lucky to have this job role. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that's striking to me is, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, um, to speak at the, um, purchasing co-op meeting at the national cooperative business association last year. And, and, uh, on the one hand, uh, the businesses that people are doing are struck me as a, as a outsider and layperson as like, from that perspective, kind of the most boring businesses you could imagine, like purchasing lots and lots of ball bearings or, you know, like, you know, purchasing these very specific things that you never thought of in your life as needing to be purchased, you know, but of course, once you think of it, it's there. Um, but at the same time, once you hear about the inside of, of what it takes to do this business right, you know, it suddenly becomes this um, dynamic and entrepreneurial challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, one, one thing I might add real quick is mm -hmm. that, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you found this, Allison, but I feel like the, the real value we're tapping into at Amicus is not so much the purchasing. It's it's actually the the connections and the collaboration mm. and the sharing of best practices. Mm. We have engendered a culture of extreme transparency and openness across the members, the level of trust has run so deep that we share everything with each other. We we just wrapped up a, a compensation survey where everyone filled out all the job roles they have at their business, all the salaries, the performance-based pay, the benefits package to make sure we're all doing the best by our employees and paying market rate and 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 paying the right, you know, healthy benefits package to them. And that level of sharing is invaluable. Is that a kind of thing that you do as well, Allison? We're we're getting into um, that level. I would love to get into. Um, we do do a lot of best practices currently um, in a number of formats. We have uh, webinars we do where we feature best practice members, and we have um, monthly digital magazines mm -hmm. where we feature best practice members. Um, and I, I, I hope we can continue to to keep pushing that um, and, and show our members the value that really comes from that. Um, I think we're still, uh, our members still value the rebates and discounts most, but I would love to see that start changing um, in a different direction in the future. Yeah, and it was striking to see on a national level too that the the uh, purchasing co-ops that were starting to take advantage of those horizontal relationships and connect their members with each other, mm -hmm. help them kind of discover opportunities together, were seeing some real benefits in that. Now at the same time, uh, uh, you know, the kind of thing that you're doing is sort of the kind of thing that entrepreneurs are not supposed to do now, right? Like the um, when I hear about, uh, you know, when I'm in a kind of startup culture context, right? People are always talking about how they're going to get rid of one or another middleman, right? And you yeah. both are your middle people, right? <laughs> you know, you're you're handling a task in the middle of a of an industry. Um, does that feel like a kind of vulnerable position? Does it feel like a necessary position? How is it, how then does that make you look at the at the um, that discourse in mm -hmm. the startup culture that we all kind of get bombarded with all the time? I think sometimes the the vendors, especially at first, and some out there are are still seeing us as a nuisance, um, especially ones that we don't work with. 
Um, so we we are having some struggles in that arena, um, trying to make sure that uh, you know other other vendors we're not playing with keep things fair. Um, and when it comes to our membership, I think um, our true power will only be as great as as cooperative as, as the members are within our cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, so if our if our members aren't valuing what they're we're doing or who we're partnering with, we're not going to have much skin in the game. But if they really value what we're doing and they become more and more active, um, I think uh, we're a necessary, um, you know, uh, company to be there within our industry. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, any any industry who has a, a, a cooperative that's running well. Um, so I, you know, I can absolutely see that perspective and, and I hope we can s- continue to stay strong and uh, a strong community together. Yeah, I think what we've done is, is attack that very issue. So I mentioned earlier that we're trying to strip away transaction costs and, and literally the, the middle people out of the supply chain. And the way Amicus is just focused on a small part of, of the supply chain. So for example, solar panels, they're, they're the most expensive part of a system uh, beyond labor to install it. And so what we've done is historically, the manufacturer would sell to a distributor and then the distributor would sell the solar panels to a Namaste Solar or another Amicus member. Well, we came in and said, no, 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 let us control that and own that part, and we won't mark up the price at all because we own it ourselves. Why mark it up? And we said, okay, we'll just buy solar panels in at least a minimum order quantity, it's called, or higher. And the reason for that is because distributors were doing the same thing, but they weren't even receiving the solar panels. The solar panels were shipping directly from the manufacturer to our members, and they were marking it up considerably and really adding very little value. So what Amicus did, it said, okay, that's what we'll focus on. We'll just, we'll be the buyer for those solar panels, and we'll, re- we'll just not have a markup that the distributors had. So in many ways, I feel like Amicus is cutting out that those middle mm-hmm. people, actually. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a... a- big difference the claim is that's a big difference if the middle person the middle player is the you know the uh the mediator there is a uh is someone that you own mm-hmm. rather than somebody who's actually trying to extract as much as possible from the process yeah and you gotta watch it i mean in in solar it's interesting we're in a very different market or industry where we're constantly trying to reduce the costs of our system. So we're doing more and more every year for less and less. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because we want to offset fossil fuel based forms of electricity generation. And the only way to do that is to get down to a price per kilowatt hour of the electricity that's cheaper than traditional Mm -hmm. forms of generation from coal or natural gas. And the only way to do that is to keep lowering our price. So what we're trying to get over, away from with the panels, the solar panels going through distributors is what we call margin stacking, right? The manufacturers need to make money. Did the distributors really need to make that much when they're not even touching the solar panels? We didn't think so. So mm-hmm. we're just going ahead and buying them ourselves and the panels ship right to our warehouses or right where the project's being built. And Allison, you were talking earlier about the pressure that you're feeling from members um, how do you show members that you're that you're really um, uh, being as lean and efficient as possible? 
Um, well, we have a process uh, when our, our members join the cooperative uh, to walk them through all of the features that we have at the cooperative. Um, so the members who take the time to go through that process, I think um, our value starts to show right from the start. Um, we also, of course, have our, our, our um, members meeting every year, and I think our uh, cooperative has been impressed that each year we're in business, um, we, we uh, seem to be uh, gaining more in profit, and our operation costs seem to be uh, some, somewhat reducing, at least in, in ratio. Um, so as long as we can continue to continue to, you know, up the profit and, and keep the ratio of expenses um, lean, uh, I think they, you know, transparency is a big thing in a cooperative. So mm -hmm. I think they can see that we are truly running as, as lean as we can mm -hmm. for them. Now, one, one recent bit of purchasing co-op news is the sale of a majority stake in uh, True Value to, mm -hmm. uh, to a private equity firm. So True Value is, uh, uh, like Ace Hardware, um, is uh, a national purchasing co-op for hardware stores, right? And, and one of the larger purchasing co-ops um, uh, until recently. And, and um, I think this is largely a kind of result of the pressure of the succession anxiety right you had all these businesses that you know that were um, weren't sure what their future was going to look like and um, ended up choosing you know to to have a payout uh, rather than to uh, continue controlling their cooperative and running it on their own terms yeah i think that that story is a great lesson learned story for anyone, for both Allison and myself and anyone who's managing purchasing cooperatives and trying to accomplish the missions we have. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I say that because yes, that was a part of it, but also True Value had held back the dividend payments from their members for many, many years. And so those store owners saw this as an opportunity to get kind of that back pay, quote unquote, that they weren't getting. Mm -hmm. The, the, the financial benefit that they thought they were going to get when they signed up had changed dramatically over the years due to the way the management of, third, of True Value wanted to run the cooperative. And I, that's why I say it's a good lesson to learn, is you want to make sure you're continuing to drive direct financial value to the members and not hold those dividends back. And I say dividends, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm sure many of you know REI, Consumer Cooperative, and they pay dividends by how much you 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 you, you patron the cooperative with your purchases. And the same of purchasing cooperatives, Allison and I both we pay our members patronage dividends yep. um, based on how much they purchase through the cooperative. And True Value is holding those dividends back. So those hardware store owners were faced with the decision of, well, do I am I able to I can get this money all right now if I say yes. Or who knows when I'll get it, if at all, if I say no. And that's a tough, tough decision to make when you're also a little removed, right? How many member owners were there of true value? 4,000? That's a pretty distributed ownership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they might not have felt that sense of co-ownership either. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and it re requires work to help maintain that sense as you grow. Absolutely. Right. And um, are there particular tools that you've been using to make sure that as you scale, you're retaining those relationships? I think it's a constant struggle um, having as many members as we do at the co-op. Um, but we've recently started um, just doing more and more webinars and education um, 
starting starting to hit at the the heartstrings of what a cooperative is um, and, and starting to spread those videos to our community uh, to hopefully show them truly how powerful um, a business they're a part you know they're a part of I think cooperatives I mean we wouldn't be in it if we weren't passionate about it but we want to help our owners feel just as passionate so I think pushing the cooperative movement is, is a new um, technique uh, in our cooperative that will will do our best to to uh, get the ears of every co-op member we have and if there were more purchasing co-ops and more industries with more market power based on your experience you know how could this shape the broader economy what what would our how might our world be different with more of these kinds of businesses i'd like to think that everybody um everybody would uh have a little more um heart into to what they're purchasing towards you know that kind of warm fuzzy feeling that you're supporting um I guess yourself in a way, if you're you're a part owner in, in a cooperative and helping your local community. Um, I think as as corporate um, America or corporate world, um, you know, becomes more and more, uh, you know, the, the industries keep purchasing each other. Um, it, it becomes a bit sterile. And um, I just love the feeling of really feeling like you're a part of the community. So I would hope that that feeling grows if, if cooperatives continue to take off. Yeah, I, I would I completely agree. I think community is the right word um, because it you know a purchasing cooperative is a is a story about small business. It's about creating those local jobs for the long term, right? And 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 strength in numbers and and I think you also probably would receive higher quality products at an affordable price that you might not see today mm-hmm. as well. But I think it, you know building that community and supporting those small businesses is the is the focus well it's a it's an interesting challenge because on the one hand you're creating businesses that enable those um, local businesses to be front and center Um, but at the same time it means that all the customers that they're serving aren't quite seeing always what you're doing and the model that's enabling what they're experiencing so you know, I think we need to strike that balance I, I think you're right and we're looking at doing that we're looking at creating a brand it's 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 maybe a stale saying now, but it's Main Street, not Wall Street, right, that they're supporting by spending their dollars at this local business that's a part of a cooperative is so much more powerful and the money stays there in your local community than it would by by going with a big national company. Well, uh, Stephen Irvin and uh, Allison Morris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your experience. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. You can catch us on the fourth Thursday of every month. I'm Nathan Schneider, uh, your host. I'm a, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. And uh, I've got a few announcements uh, for, for the uh, coming weeks. For one thing, be sure to check out the new colorado.coop website. That's colorado.coop. That's um, a new effort to do some joint branding and, and uh, uh, marketing of the co-op model in the state and bring together uh, some of the many diverse uh, uh, kinds of co-ops that we have in this area, from credit unions to farmer co-ops to uh, meditation co-op that we've heard from on this show before. Uh, and much, much more. So be sure to check that out. Find your local co-ops and and, uh, get involved. Uh, And then also, uh, I have a little personal plug to to, uh, offer here. 
uh, my new book on this uh, cooperative tradition, uh, Everything for Everyone is what it's called, uh, is coming out in September. And so we have a couple of events coming up. Uh, one is at Boulder Bookstore on September 12th. Uh, and then on September 14th, that's later in the same week, uh, there'll be another at Denver's Book Bar. Uh, we'll have uh, at each of those events leaders in the local co-op communities uh, saying, uh, talking about their businesses and and uh, and their work, and um, and uh, again g- creating opportunities for anyone who comes to learn more. and And you can uh, find details of those events at uh, nathanschneider.info and also uh, at um, coloradocoops.info, uh, the website of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. Also on September 13th, the Colorado Black Women for Political Action organization is hosting an event on collective wealth building uh, featuring Jessica Gordon Nembhard. She's a a really uh, powerful historian uh, based at the uh, John Jay College in New York, who has in particular worked on documenting the history of African-American cooperation. And uh, she actually helped us start this show. She was our first guest. Uh, talking about the power of of uh, mutual education in uh, in those uh, in that history that she studied, but that's September thirteenth. Uh, details are forthcoming. Uh, follow the Colorado Black Women for Political Action uh, for more details on on that event. It's uh, definitely not to be missed. And then finally, on November seventh, uh, at CU Boulder, together with colleagues in the in the business school, uh, I'll be uh, co-hosting the Colorado Shared Ownership Summit, which is a gathering of old and new, um, large and small co-ops and credit unions and ESOPs from across the state, helping us learn from each other and uh, share best practices and uh, and strengthen our, our sense of uh, shared identity and, and uh, shared opportunity. Uh, thank you again for listening. You can always find out uh, more and and uh, listen to past episodes and share them at coloradocoops.info slash radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to uh, uh, to have you again next month.